Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. From WHQR Public Media, I'm your host, Camille Mojica. With a newsroom staff of five people, sometimes things can get a little backlogged because one or two or three or four of us are working on some long-term projects and can't really divert too much time to other long-term stuff. So someone has to pick up the slack. And that someone this week was Ben Shockman. Ben joins us now to talk about the stories he reported on this week and work that's coming out very soon. Welcome back to the Cape Fear Rundown. I'm here with Ben Shockman. Hello, Ben. Hello, Cami. This entire episode, you are going to be talking to us because there was a lot of news that happened this week. Yes. Plenty. And, yes. And everyone else was busy doing other very important things, so I ended up covering all these stories. Yes, you did. Okay. Let's get started. So story number one, District Attorney Ben David is retiring. Yes. We got a press release. And I remember uh, when we got the press release, I looked at Nikolai. Well, no, Nikolai looked at me from his desk and said, Ben David? Question mark. And I said, what about Ben David? And he said, retirement? And I said, no. When is that happening? Then I looked in my inbox and saw the press release and said, oh, he is retiring. So what happened? So I sat down with Ben David on Wednesday this week, and we'll have a longer form piece out next week. Um, but we talked about a lot of things, and I need to cobble it together. Okay. Also, a helicopter flew over his office at one point, so I have to. <laughs> a <laughs> helicopter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So, and I joked with him that this is the kind of news that often lands on Friday afternoon, dashing journalists' hopes of having like an early Friday. This was quite literally on Monday, wasn't this it? It was Monday. Wow. Um, so. First of all, he was um, he was very clear that he doesn't consider this a retirement um, because he is not. He said he wants to continue practicing law in some way. Oh, okay. he said whatever he does next will be um, involve a law license in a courtroom. Okay, so he will still be an attorney. Yeah, he'll still be an attorney. Um, he was cagey about what he's going to do next, and maybe because he doesn't know. Okay. And part of that is because he kind of cast out a long date. He said he's going. He is going to retire from the office of the DA. Um, but not until September of, of next, next year. year. Yeah. Um, he dispelled a couple of rumors. He said uh, he's not running for office. He's not leaving town. Um, he at least he's not running for office next year. Okay. I <laughs> can you know never say never. <laughs> um, he also uh, said that he is um, not. This is in no way related to the ongoing crime lab lawsuit, which we can get into in a minute. But there's no scandal, is what he's saying. Okay. Um, and I was actually walking with him to his office uh, in the in sort of behind the security gate at the DA's office, and like an employee came up and said, "I just heard the news. What's going on?" And he was like, "It's fine. Everything's cool." Oh. Okay. Um, so all right. And he gave a couple of reasons. Um, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. He was elected the DA at, at a relatively young age. He was 34. How um, long has he been the DA? Almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years by the time he retires. That's a long time. So he was very young. He had only been a prosecutor in that office for four or five years. Wow. And um, so he's actually at the judicial retirement age, even though he's only in his uh, in his 50s. Oh, really? That's a thing? Yeah. And so at that point, they don't force you to retire, but they stop paying you more every year. And it means that you make the same whether you work or retire. Really? Yes. And so many people, That's given way that choice, subtly telling you, you're like, I'll give you twenty dollars to move this pile of bricks, or I'll just give you twenty dollars. 
Oh, most people take the twenty (laughs) dollars. So, um, and the timing. Now, this is where things get a little weedy. He was unclear about how exactly this works uh, when a DA resigns. Okay. And it's interesting because that's how he got the job. Um, The long the the DA before him, John Carricker, announced his retirement. And there were so many people who wanted to, from the Democratic Party, because John Carricker was also a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, who wanted to, there was like a four-way runoff in September of 2004, I believe. So super quick. Yeah. DAs are elected officials. They are elected officials. Okay. So four candidates ran for to for the Democratic spot um, in September of 2004. And then Ben David, so Ben David won that four-way runoff. And then he had to turn around and run in the general election in 2004. Oh, I see. And then two years later, he had to run again because he <laughs> had been elected halfway through the former DAs. Oh, okay. And he did tell me that was a whirlwind time. He said, you know, like, his first kid was born. <laughs> bam, bam, <laughs> he had, like, bam. a bunch of elections. So um, that seems to be a special circumstances. Usually when someone like the DA resigns in the middle of their term, mm. Um, and we've seen this on school board. We've seen this when people leave, like, the county commission to go serve at the state level. Mm-hmm. If it's far enough into the middle of their term, the whatever party they, they are, um, that um, that party can nominate a replacement. Now, for the DA, it's a little different. Um, if it's too far away from an election, the governor actually appoints an interim. Okay. But if it's close enough to an even-year election where you're going to have state and federal elections. Yes, like next year. Like next year. Then basically both parties, actually any party, but in New Hanover County we mostly have the Democratic and Republican parties, yeah. will both nominate a candidate and they will run. So if everything goes according to plan and Ben David actually leaves office when he says he will, okay, the Democratic Party will announce someone to run in his place and the Republican Party will nominate someone to run against them. We won't see candidates file the way they usually do. Mm. But Ben David announced about a week before filing starts, because filing starts on Monday Oh, for next year's elections. So he wasn't sure, so he said, just in case, let me give them time to file. Okay. So that's the reason and the timing. So it's not tinfoil hat conspiracy. Well, never say never. Okay. So now you talked about the crime lab lawsuit. We talked about this once before on CFR many, many episodes back because this has been something you're reporting on for a really long time. Yes. So can you catch up to speed? Can, uh, can you catch us up to speed? Yeah, I'll try to do this as briefly as possible. Not my strong suit, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, way back when, there was a crime lab in the Wilmington Police Department. Uh, for about a decade, it was run by a woman named Bethany Pridgen. Um, and she she founded it. She cobbled together funding from grants for years. It mm. never really got the full funding it needed okay. from either the city or New Hanover County, although everyone agreed it was a good thing because it let local law enforcement process evidence, specifically drug and alcohol, blood alcohol evidence, way faster than going through the state labs, which have perennial backlogs. It's a nightmare. Okay, so we had our own lab mm-hmm. for our county. Yes, but no one had ever really fully taken up the mantle and saying, we're going to fund this thing completely. Huh, okay. So every year it was grant applications, grant applications. Um, so at a certain point, we got an announcement that a chemist, an employee of the tri- at crime lab, had been fired. Um, at the time, we were told it was for untruthfulness. Um, like and, lying on, on documents, papers? Well, what came out was that he, yeah, basically, there's you got to do like routine maintenance and calibrations on these super high-tech equipment, like yeah. 
uh, chromatographs and mass spectrometers. Um, I wouldn't know one if I saw one, but <laughs> apparently <laughs> I know what they're called. I know what they're called, and I know you got to like calibrate them, otherwise the results can get thrown out. Okay. So apparently he wasn't doing that. Um, and then after that, we also learned that the crime lab was going to be transferred from Wilmington to New Hanover County. So from WPD to yes. the sheriff's department. Now, somewhat awkwardly, it is still in the Wilmington Police Department headquarters. Oh. But it is now owned and operated and funded by New Hanover County with some money from the city. Okay. And that's what we know. Now, we, all of us were very suspicious because of the timing. You know, someone's fired and the lab gets transferred. But they told us this is just a funding issue. There's nothing wrong. Okay. So what this crime lab lawsuit alleges, and i got to be super clear, these are allegations, is that the situation with that chemist was way worse. Um, the there, one that got fired. Yes. There was not just miscalibrations or calibrations not being done. Drugs were missing. And this was never made public. Um, the other allegation is that everyone involved knew about this, and there were hundreds and hundreds of cases, upwards of 600 cases, that were potentially impacted by this guy's uh, sloppy behavior. Now, we, we don't know if he was stealing the drugs or using the drugs or losing the drugs. All we know is from court filings that there were inter internal affairs investigations after he was fired that found missing drugs for multiple years. Wow. So, and again, from, this is testimony. Right? Yes. So this isn't the truth. This is what someone said. But according to people who were familiar with the situation at the time, the former police chief said, the best thing to do is to toss all these cases. 600. Hundreds of cases. I don't know the exact number. Um, just, just toss them. But many. And the, at, when this was made public, they said there's, you know, 9, 10, maybe 12 cases impacted. And we've contacted all the defense attorneys. The reality, the logistical nightmare that that set up of contacting all those defense attorneys, mm. of maybe having those cases thrown out or having to retry them on different grounds, I'm not even sure how all that would work. Um, Good Lord. But it would be a mess. And apparently there was a lot of pushback from some people saying, like, no, we can't do that. As in we know, no, we can't throw these yes. out. Okay. So around this time, obviously that chemist was fired. Yes. Um, but he was scheduled to testify in a case where he had been the chemist. So, you know, the state would call him as a witness. Okay. But he was not available. <laughs> uh, he actually went to work for a local firm here in Wilmington, but he certainly wasn't going to show up and testify as a lab chemist. Yeah. So the lab director, Bethany Pridgen, showed up to testify for him because she's his boss and she knows everything that goes on and she can testify. Okay. But the defense attorney had figured out, um, remember the news report about some of this stuff, and really grilled her about the crime lab. And it's worth noting... The state brought up the crime lab issues just to sort of, like, get it out of the way. But the defense attorney really got in there mm. and was was grilling her about whether or not he, he had she had concerns that he was stealing drugs or that drugs were going missing. During this trial? During this trial. And she's wow. under oath. Okay, yeah. So she said, yeah, I had concerns that drugs were going missing. I'm paraphrasing here. But... She acknowledged more in that courtroom than had been publicly acknowledged oh, before. Oh, I see. Okay. And she alleges that because of that, she became persona non grata immediately with everyone. So when they moved, so at the press, I was there at the press conference. But she was under oath. She was under oath. And I was there at the press conference, you know, this is like five years ago. And I asked, uh, along with other reporters, what's going to happen to the employees? And they're like, well, you know, technically they were city employees. Now they have to be county employees. We've got to go through the steps, blah, blah, blah. But the vibe was, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. We're basically just going to, like, do the paperwork and rehire everyone. Okay. She didn't get rehired. Was she the only one that didn't get rehired? I think there were some other people who just chose not to stay on. 
But specifically, she was the most qualified person from what we can tell. And they didn't rehire her. And they didn't rehire her. And so her, her whole lawsuit stems around all the issues that basically led to that. So I was just about to ask, who brought this lawsuit forward? She brought the, Bethany Bridgen brought this lawsuit, and it's against people at the Wilmington Police Department, including Police Chief Donnie Williams. Okay. Um, it's against Sheriff McMahon. So basically, it's against Donnie Williams and some of his top people um, for the way they acted. The sheriff for not hiring her. And against Ben David for, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but it's tortious interference. And that basically means a third party came and jammed stuff up. Okay. So what she alleges is that he, I mean, he's an incredibly well-respected person in the law enforcement community. And so using his influence, he, you know, helped to blacklist her. He helped sway people against hiring her. Okay. And that is just an allegation to be clear. Ben David denies this. He says there's no merit to the suit. He called it feckless, um, even lacking character. <laughs> I was going to say I did not know that that was a word. Uh, he's used some stronger language in private, I have to imagine. Um, but for, just to be clear, he, de- he denies all of this. Okay. And so what was recently at stake was whether or not his part of the case could go forward. And I think he was carved off from the rest of us because unlike... Uh, the crime lab's uh, original owners, the Wilmington Police Department, and its future owners, the Hanover County Sheriff's Office and the county, Ben David wasn't directly involved in the hiring. Yeah, and okay. And so, and obviously the police department would be making the official recommendation or not to the sheriff's office because she was their employee. And so I, I understand why the case allowed them to look at just the claims against Ben David and say, should we include these or should we not? And okay. back in February of this year, they actually dismissed them all. Okay, so he was in the clear. He was in the clear for since February, and he was added back to the case, from what I can understand, not an attorney, but from a lay point of view. Basically, there was more discovery. They found more evidence. That's what mm. the filing says. Is okay. The judge's order says, well, we have this new evidence that introduces new questions. To this, add his part back on. Yeah, this is not a guilty verdict. It's just saying... Hey, with this new evidence, we have new questions we now need to answer in court. Got it. So okay. now you're back in the lawsuit. Okay. Now, very soon, <laughs> like next week, I believe there will be another hearing to decide whether this whole case goes forward or, or not. The entire case? The entire case. Um, that could always be continued. It could be partial. But in the very near future, they're going to be discussing this whole case. So it makes sense that they added Ben David before they yeah. make sense. So I want, I'm trying to put maximum context around this. Because certainly my reporter brain went into overload <laughs> when I learned that on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Ben David was added to a, a fairly serious lawsuit. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying anything in there is true or not true, but the allegations are serious. The next business day, Monday after the Thanksgiving break, he announces he'll be leaving office. That's if if you're a reporter and you see that and you you don't dump all your epinephrine in your money. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. You shouldn't be in this field. But the more I've looked at it, I, I think Ben David makes a plausible case okay. about how this was unrelated. So conspiracy theories that I've heard, um, he has said that it is time to do something else. Um, certainly being sued as the DA might nudge him in that direction. Yeah, that, yeah. But that's, I think, as far as you can go with that. Okay. So that's Ben David. So that's... Uh, the story of Ben David. <laughs> His entire story. <laughs> no, there's there's a, there's a whole lot more, but that's another it's a whole other show. Yes. Okay. So, you mentioned Ed McMahon, I did. which is our second segment. Yes. So we're going to talk about Sheriff Ed McMahon. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yes. 
I will again. I will. I will strive for brevity, and I'll fall short, but I'll try. Yep, you're you're good. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, the sheriff's office provides school resource officers or SROs to about four private schools around town. Okay. So all the public schools, that's that's pretty above board. They just the county pays for it. The county pays for the schools. The officers go to the schools. But on a discretionary basis, the sheriff can also offer to basically lease these officers out to private schools. So the private schools are paying for it. They pay about $68,000 a year. That covers salary and benefits. Oh, okay. But the, but the deputy gets to wear their county. They're still sworn law enforcement officer with the county. They're still a deputy. They get their badge and their gun and their uniform and their car. But whose uh, payroll are they on? But they So they are... I, I believe they're technically an, then like an employee of the school. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Like they're stationed at the school. Like they don't occasionally drop by. Like they're there. That's their job. Okay. Yeah. Now there might be different deals here and there, but that's how I understand it. Um, because if they're getting paid sixty-eight thousand dollars for part-time, wow. I'm Good in lord. Wrong biz. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's kind of a but it's discretionary. So not every private school gets one. Okay. Um, some don't want one. Some maybe like, I don't know, aren't big enough to need one. So Cape Fear Academy, which is a private school in the unincorporated part of New Hanover County, went to Sheriff Epic Man and said, we would like an SRO to compliment our existing director of security. Okay. Who is a man named Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson um, is a longtime law enforcement guy. Uh, he actually worked at the sheriff's office for about 14 years before wow. he retired. Okay. He's still an active sworn law enforcement officer. He's on reserve duty through Holly Ridge. Interesting. Uh, which is up in Onslow, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get to it. Um, but he was hired at Cape Fear Academy after he left the sheriff's office, and a major reason he was hired was that he qualified under a federal law called HR 218, or LEOSA. HR 218. HR 218. <laughs> HR 218, um, which basically says if you're a retired law enforcement officer and you meet certain qualifications. You're exempt from a bunch from like concealed carry laws in the state. What? Yes. What? Yes. So, what? So, so he wouldn't need a permit the way everybody else does. Correcto. And now the requirements mean that you basically have to um, qualify with the uh, with the state board the same way that active duty cops and deputies do. Okay. With your firearm every year. Every year. Okay. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of reasons why this law came into existence, but one of the things it allows is retired cops and deputies to get jobs managing security for people. Okay. Um, and specifically, it allows them, because of the way this federal law interacts with state laws, it lets you carry on, on educational campuses. Oh, so he can carry at, on school grounds. Correct. And this is intrinsic to his job. Now, he is, to be really clear, according to the school, uh, he is not a security guard. They don't consider him a security guard. He's not licensed as a security guard. Most of what he does is administrative. Okay. You know, he sits at a desk. Um, he comes up with security policy. He makes sure the school's in line with local, state, and federal mandates. Yeah, he's he, not the guy at the front the front door. He's not patrolling. Okay. You know, but he does have a gun in the horrible emergency, hopefully never happened situation where he needs a gun. So he's been doing that for three years, and it's, it's everyone knows he's there. He's worked with deputies, so it's not like you know law enforcement hasn't seen him on campus with his gun. Okay. Because they have events where they like, they hire a bunch of other um, you know sheriff's deputies to provide extra security, crowd control, traffic. You know when they have big games. Yeah. So as far as he's concerned, not a secret. But when 
Cave Fear Academy goes to the sheriff and asks for this SRO to sort of compliment him in case he doesn't take a day off or say he's at a conference. Um, the sheriff says, I'll give you one, but only if you disarm Randy Johnson. Only if you stop, if you force him to not wear his gun anymore because he is breaking the law. Not just because I don't like it, but because he, he is breaking the law. What law is that? Well, that's a good question. So he gives them a, a couple paragraphs of legal analysis okay. that he got from the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, which struck me as odd because usually you ask the district attorney when there's a question of law. And we've talked about all kinds of different cases where the law is unclear. And so yeah, law so enforcement calls up their local prosecutor. So you'd go to Ben David. You'd go to Ben David's office. And we know that he did at some point contact Ben David's office. Okay. But it, that was not the advice he cited. He cited the North Carolina Sheriff's, Sheriff's Association. Association. And what's worth knowing about the North Carolina Sheriff's Association is that uh, over the last couple of years, Sheriff Ed McMahon has served as the president, chairman, and is currently the first vice president. So he's helped lead this. And this is a lobbying organization. Um, it is a big, bad lobbying machine. It gets stuff done in the General Assembly. It is it is well known for moving votes on both sides of the aisle. Yep, yep. Um, and so, but they know their way in and out of every law involving law enforcement. Would, so yeah. even though I'm used to seeing them going to the DA, it's not crazy that they went to, it's not like they went to like, you know, some super PAC. Yeah. Like these people do know their stuff. Okay. So this is the advice they gave the school and the schools like threw their hands up. They're like, look, we're not going to challenge him. You know, he got this legal advice from this well-established, you know, long-standing body. Oh, so they said okay. So the school said, yeah, we got to disarm Randy Johnson. Okay. Does Randy Johnson have something to say? Yes. He said no. He said, look, carrying a firearm was a part of why I took this gig. Um, It was, and like, in that it was like part of the job description. Yeah. And he also said, like, look, I never want to be in a situation where, God forbid, I need a gun and don't have one. You know, then I'm useless. You know, that's why you asked me to be legally able to carry a gun. And we should note that there are lots of other schools. I went on, you know, all kinds of different job searches mm-hmm. and just looked for, like, director of security. I-, I found, like, a half dozen, including one, another one here in Wilmington. Really? Where they asked that you be qualified under this federal law, uh, HR 218. So that way you can carry. Yeah. So it's not, like, it's not like this is the only school in the world doing it. And it's not a secret. And it's not a secret. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they put it in a public-facing, like, job, like, you know, uh, job opening. Yeah, Okay. So, Randy just said no. He actually stayed around for a couple of weeks while they were negotiating this and ultimately just said no. But it wasn't super, I mean, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't a total acrimonious split. He stayed on to coach basketball. Um, oh, so he left his position as yes. the director of security. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, you know, the school put out this press release over the summer in mid-August saying two things. One, we now have a new SRO, and two, Randy has resigned. And they wrote about Randy Johnson in, like, glowing terms. Okay. He's great. He's done so much for the school. Yeah. Uh, he's gone, but not forever, not forgotten. He'll still be here coaching some basketball. So it wasn't like, you know, we got rid of this bad guy or like we've parted ways. It was just, you know, he's, he's no longer it was with a, us. It was a, yeah, he's no longer with us. It was a pursuing other opportunities type feel. Okay. Okay. So that's that's at the point where I entered the story. What I figured. <laughs> enter stage right. Well, what I figured out was that the Sheriff McMahon was wrong. And this guidance that was given to him by the North Carolina Sheriff's Association was incredibly convoluted. And I won't go into the details because it's you just kind of have to read it. It's like a word problem. And if I say it, it your eyes will, will glaze over. <laughs> but it seems, and they introduced a bunch of things that don't matter. 
Like in their guidance, they mentioned security guards, they mentioned jurisdiction. None of that has anything to do with how the federal law works or even how the state law works. Hmm. So we talked and we <laughs> it took three interviews going back and forth with Eddie Caldwell, who's the general counsel of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. Again, a guy who knows his stuff. He's been doing it since the 90s. He makes $400,000 a year to do this job. He knows what he's talking about. Okay, so why did he include those things, though? He the I, I We went round and round and round. I kept asking, why did you bring these irrelevant things into this analysis? Because mm. it muddied the water. And giving the most charitable interpretation, that's why McMahon gave the bad advice. Because mm. this was so confusing. And he kept saying, it's not confusing, it's not misleading. And I was like, well, Ed McMahon said that this was illegal, but you're telling me it is legal. Because Caldwell told me, like, Randy Johnson can legally carry his gun on campus. He okay. Did. But the advice he gave was so convoluted that somehow McMahon got the opposite impression. That's the nicest version of this story I can tell you. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so kind of like a misunderstanding. That's the best he would acknowledge, is that there was a misunderstanding. And he did say that it was in response to a very specific question that McMahon had asked, but he couldn't remember the details of that question. Okay. All right. So Randy Johnson thinks this is all retaliation because he has a bad history with the sheriff. And again, this is long and convoluted. I will give you the short version. Um, back in 2015, Randy Johnson started um, filing complaints against the school district because of the way his daughter was treated. Um, long convoluted story, but it involved the former uh, deputy superintendent, Rick Holiday, who was in charge of Title IX. Randy filed a Title IX complaint to the feds, okay. which basically meant he was head-on challenging Rick Holiday and was a vocal critic of him for years. Yes. Rick Holiday was a very good friend of Sheriff Ed McMahon. And to the point where even though Rick Holiday re uh, resigned, um, as civil cases were being launched at the district, as criminal investigations were launched, which now show he probably was at least criminally negligent mm. in some of the things he did. That would have been a misdemeanor, so the statute of limitations has long since passed. Mm. But he definitely was doing things incorrectly. Okay. Um, there was a lot of ill will towards Rick Holiday. Sheriff McMahon um, gave him an award at a ceremony, which really rankled some people. Mm. Um, and so Randy Johnson believes that his criticisms of a close friend of the sheriff led to his workplace environment getting nasty. And that's why he kind of ultimately resigned. Oh, I see. And that he was kind of untouchable while he was working at Cape Fear Academy because it's a private school. He's lawfully carrying his weapon. But this SRO request, from Randy Johnson's point of view, gave the sheriff leverage. Okay. So we confronted um, Sheriff McMahon with all of this. So he, again, he denies the retaliation. Okay. But he acknowledged that he was wrong. He never said why he chose to go with the guidance from the Sheriff's Association instead of the district attorney. Okay. But he did, when we contacted him, he said, thank you for bringing this to my attention, and he also brought it to Cape Fear Academy's attention. He, When I asked him if he felt responsible for in any part for what had happened, for mm -hmm. Randy effectively feeling he'd been pushed out of his job, he said no. And what we don't know, what's sort of left now, is whether or not Cape Fear Academy will offer Randy Johnson his job back. Well, uh, lots of convoluted and in-the-weeds stuff, but it's online. I, you really have to read some of this stuff because I, I swear to you, if I read the quotes from Eddie Caldwell from the Sheriff's Association, your head will spin around three times and fall off. It'll be like a, a horrible riddle. <laughs> it is the worst riddle. Well, okay. So now we will make sure that there's a link in there so you can read the full article. Yep. Now, 
we have another beefy article. <laughs> yes, but this one I am not going to summarize. Okay, yes. You guys have been through enough. You're champs. If you're listening to this, you are champs. <laughs> okay, so the next article that's coming out is beefy. It's about, how many words did you say? It's in the ballpark of 6,000. Oh, my God. And there's a reason for that. Okay, it is about the new Hanover County Endowment, correct? Yes, this is the new Hanover Community Endowment, a $1.25 billion private foundation that when it is fully ramped up in a couple of years, a couple of years, maybe five years, it will be putting $60 million a year, every year, into New Hanover County nonprofits. Okay. It now, is, why did you write this article? It's big. That's it's a lot of huge. words. It's huge. And it, it and it's for the record, this includes both brand new reporting, Okay. Um, new conversations with uh, top officials, new conversations with experts, mm. new analysis of the grants that they made last year, but also some historical reporting I did way back in Port City Daily, going back to 2019. Oh. Um, it includes a lot. And you might be saying, Ben, why in the name of whatever God you believe in would you do this? And it's because we are working with the Chronicle of Philanthropy, uh, which is a nonprofit group that um, helps support news coverage and does their own reporting on the philanthropic world. It's a really undercovered part of just our culture. Mm. Uh, Many people don't want to basically cover nonprofits because they tend to be boring. (laughs) (laughs) Or when when things go wrong, um, everyone kind of jumps on it. But they weren't covering them before. Like okay. things are like good until they're not. Yes. And people, people are hesitant to pile on for a lot of nonprofits. I mean, if it's a huge, you know, international one, sure. But like your local community nonprofit, we talked about this last week or we on the last show. You know, you don't want to kick some small town nonprofit that's doing the best it can with a budget of like eight thousand dollars a year. Like even if they if they like screw up some paperwork or like they're not actually changing the world. It's like, oh come on. So for lots of reasons coverage of the nonprofit and charitable world is, is under-resourced. People okay. don't go into it. So the Chronicle of Anthropy, um helps support reporting on that stuff because it is actually really important. Okay. It often serves as like an extent, like a new branch of government because usually a lot of government money goes into these nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it is like extended government accountability. It is, you know, it often involves public health or the public good. So did, they do really good work, and they are helping us with this. Did they find you? They uh, put out a um, an opportunity, a grant opportunity, which we applied for. Mm. And so over the last, I'd say, six months, we've had dozens of conversations with them. They've connected us to experts. And out of that conversation, um, and, and our pitch was to cover the endowment. Okay, gotcha. So we said, you know, help us out, and, and that's what we want to do with your resources. And our discussion was, you know, so many people have asked us, I don't understand what's going on with the endowment. Um, I, I, I'm picking through all these articles, you know, over three, four, five years from four or five, six oh, different outlets. Oh, I see. Is there, would it be insane to try and put together like a big omnibus article that tried to cover everything that led up to and came after the first grant round? Wow. Okay. And that's a lot of history. That's a lot of history. And we, oh man, you, there's no way to cover it all. So this is an attempt. <laughs> to give someone who is less familiar, who has not been following the story, a, a single place to go and sit down and be like, here's where it came from. Mm. Here are the challenges. Here are the amazing possibilities. Um, and here's where we are right now. Okay. And when you think about it that way, 6,000 words, not that bad. <laughs> 
it's big chungus, but with all, if you have to cover all of that, 6K is not that bad. Yeah, and we wanted it to drop before the endowment announces its second round of grants. Which they're going to do when? Which they are going to do in a couple weeks. Oh, as far, okay. As far as I understand it. Um, so that you would be able to read this to put that announcement in context. Okay. And that comes out when? That'll drop Sunday. The Big Mama Drama drops on the Sunday. The Big Mama Drama drops on Sunday morning. So you, if you are... If you've been meaning to catch up on the endowment and what's going on. That would be the time. The good, the bad, the ugly, the confusing, the amazing, the head-scratching, all of it. Well, Ben, we're looking for – I know I'm looking forward to it. That's a long article. Make a big pot of coffee. I will. I promise. Thank you so much for being on the show with me this week, and thank you for covering all of this stuff. I'm looking at the time now. That's a lot of reporting. Woo! Happy to do it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Cape Fear Rundown. Check out our show notes for relevant links and titles to the music we use this week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just general feedback, feel free to get in touch. You can shoot me an email at cmojica, that's M-O-J-I-C-A, at whqr.org, or you can find me on X at Cami Reports. I'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Camille Mojica, and I'll see you next week.